So, hello and welcome to the first episode of the Osamalga podcast. Today's guest is Cosimo Bassi. He is a solution architect from Algorand, and he is here to essentially talk about some development best practices in that chain. And I, I did some due diligence to prepare for this episode by rewatching some of the latest Algorand consensus conference keynotes and as well as Cosimo's keynote on Algorand efficiently, efficiency. Um, I highly recommend uh, to our listeners to check them out. I think there are some really amazing features coming um, in addition to existing capabilities to the Algorand chain. And with that, I suppose let's, let's start our episode. First of all, Cosimo, thank you for being here. It's a great honor. And I think it has a great symbolic meaning that the first guest is actually an actual engineer from Algorand uh, to talk about the topics here. And so, yeah, tell me, tell me a bit about yourself, how you got into engineering in the first pl place. And uh, we got plenty of time pre section. So please don't feel constrained or rushed to answer any of those questions. Sure. So first of all, thanks. Thank you for, for inviting me. Uh, I am a huge fan of Awesome Algo since the beginning because uh, I think it's a, an incredible tool that represents the, the ethos of a community. So uh, very glad to be a contributor there. And, uh, and thanks, Hal, for, for setting that up. So uh, like I said, first of all, maybe let me introduce myself uh, talking about uh, where I come from, maybe because, like I know, Hippocrates says, uh, we 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 are what we think, we are what we eat, and uh, where we live. So <laughs> maybe, um, like I always say, my short uh, bio, uh, my roots are from Puglia, which is a southern east region of Italy, and my mm -hmm. heart is from. Pernambuco, which is northeast of Brazil. So I speak Italian, Portuguese, and English. So I'm a, a bit of a mixture. Uh, so from each place, I, I think I uh, inherited something like from, from the uh, culture of essentiality, simplicity of Puglia, maybe the, the, the fact of having creativity to find solutions with re limited resources. Mm -hmm. And creativity mm -hmm. is uh, something that characterizes Italian culture, and I, I think uh, this applies to software engineering as well. Mm -hmm. And from Pernambuco and Brazilian culture, I think uh, it's important to remark uh, to feel that we are human. And as a, uh, there, there is a song that says that although we work with technology, we are human after all. So uh, it's important to 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 remark that not to be alienated by technology. So I am an electrical engineering. Uh, I start my uh, academic uh, background studying at the Politecnico di Torino, which is an impressive uh, public university in, uh, in Italy. Mm -hmm. And I always like to remark like a joke, uh, uh, electrical and not electronic. The uh, our young cousins are are are, are 
a little difference because uh, <laughs> ele electronic engineers usually uh, they they use electromagnetism phenomena to generate uh, transfer and store information, while uh, as electrical engineer we use the same phenomena to generate transfer and store energy. So different order of magnitude, but same working uh, principle. So after my my studies at university, I start working. Uh, uh, as uh, in, in automotive field, ten years ten years ago on uh, electrical powertrain. At that time, was not it was not uh, obvious that uh, or taking from granted the fact that we would end up embracing this uh, energy transition. So at that time, was uh, there, there was some doubts, maybe vested interest, so maybe some ignorance. But now we are, I think, in a good but to, to electrify our transportation system. So what, what I learned from that experience and somehow what is the, the, the inheritance that that experience the, uh, gave me into the blockchain. So uh, at the time I was working uh, in a job field that is known as system control engineer. So about system control theory, with, to make it simple, it means that you deal with complex systems that are described uh, in, with differential equation in the domain of time and by some very powerful mathematical tools like uh, the Laplace transform, you can describe those systems uh, with algebraic so equation. Think, yeah, so I guess things like linear control theory, nonlinear control theory. Uh, exactly, exactly. I must say that I also come from a, uh, a, a slightly different background, actually. So yeah, it's 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 really nice to see uh, fellow electrical engineers. <laughs> but yeah, please go on. This is this is really interesting. Yeah, and, and so with, with this um, with this algebra, with very powerful algebra, you can actually build algorithms um, and or transfer function. We we say. To, to force a complex system to behave the way you want. In that case, was an electrical powertrain. But doing so 10 years ago in automotive mean, mean that I had to face problem with uh, embedded electronics because today, maybe on our uh, more modern cards, uh, we have uh, plenty of uh, computational resources. But at that time, uh, um, I had to, to work with uh, limited computational resources very basic data types like integer bytes, maybe fixed point math. And, so I guess uh, these are like industrial uh, controllers, like PLC controllers, microcontrollers. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, so very, very far from the uh, unlimited computational resources that someone has on on yeah. cloud. Uh, and most of all, I was dealing with software that fits mission critical software because if something went wrong i could damage someone physically which could be a catastrophic outcome so the question is what does this have to do with the blockchain at all i think that smart contracts somehow face some similar problem because you program in an execution environment that has no infinite uh, computational resources Compute, yeah. Uh, and you know you have also limited uh, 
abstractions, you do not have very complex data type, and you have also to, to program with a, with a uh, mission critical mindset. You know, because if because you could lose in, millions of dollars, yeah, and uh, like, and we already have cases like that, but uh, that, <laughs> exactly. that has been happening, and yeah, the, the stakes are we, really we, high in this case. Yeah, we we, we guys in the, in, in the field, we all know what could happen and what can happen. So here, if something goes wrong, you can uh, hurt someone financially, which could be also a catastrophic outcome as well, maybe. So. From that first engineering experience, I believe this is what I learned and uh, what I uh, I'm proud of uh, today uh, because I can re really find uh, this mindset and this way of thinking about software engineering in blockchain. Uh, then soon after, I, I switched from the automotive field to the energy and automation field, working with distributed energy systems. Uh, so uh, we are in, in the middle of a, a revolution also in the, in, the, in the grids and in electrical networks. We have power electronics, we have storage. So the, the point at the time was how to decentralize uh, energy generation and, and consumption so that consumers are really producers and not just consumers of energy. Um, and these, these, these approach, so decentralizing a very centralized system uh, immediately um, draw my, my curiosity over mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. other technological layers because the problem at the time was how to make the energy a liquid asset. So more mm -hmm. liquid, more transferable. And when I when I discover for the first time uh, uh, blockchain, and I guess like all of us, it's maybe related to Bitcoin. Uh, at the time, I was uh, uh, amazed, and and I said, okay, this this could what, be. What year is this, by the way? I guess we're talking about like early 2010. 2010, 2011. Um, yeah, it was 2016 at that time for me. To, yeah, 2016 at that time for me. And uh, a bit late uh, uh, with, if compared to the very beginning, but still not too... Not well, I'd say 2016 was a good a good year because it was right before the, uh, the you know, the spike and the, the uh, this huge uh, sort of... Uh, bull market that was in 2017 when bitcoin yeah. hit 20k so i think yeah i was not so brave enough to, to invest at that time i was just an engineer speculating on technology i maybe regret it a little bit but okay it's okay i i, I it was the initial path to the white rabbit hole <laughs> <laughs> but i must say you know, investing in crypto and developing on crypto is entirely different universes. It's completely different experiences, in my opinion. And I, I think it's it's a good thing to actually, you know, try yourself in both of those before before you, you actually uh, want to truly put money into some technology. You need to understand how it works, not just from economical perspective, but uh, from technical perspective as well, because uh, tech also is a very crucial and important aspect of uh, the success of any of those companies out there at the moment competing very heavily. 
Yeah, no, I'm, I'm and I'm very conservative on this. Like uh, I always have this engineering mindset. Uh, understand things first and then move uh, first uh, steps. So no, but it was it was good. I immediately realized that the fact that this technology, as as an engineer, as a developer, had an enormous uh, potential. Okay. But being being in in the energy and I have these uh, uh, bias. Uh, uh, towards energy consumption, I, I immediately realized, okay, this is good, the value are good, the potential is is great, but the technology do, does not scale well in this way. So basically, uh, to, 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 to summarize, uh, I found myself in a position of wanting to, to commit my free time in this technology but uh, I wanted to be sure to commit my time in the best technology. And after several due diligence, so it took me a while, a while until I discovered uh, Algorand. At the time, there was not even, not even uh, a mainnet. So there was a few limited resources, just a white paper. Uh, I remember there was uh, this uh, very uh, nerdy black and white markdown developer portal. Uh, we have uh, improved it a lot since then. And uh, so I started uh, publishing tutorials and examples uh, as developer ambassadors at that time. And, may and uh, I, I couldn't, maybe, I don't know if, if it's the first full, full application with Python. It was a, a mini game called Algo Nim. A uh, very simple mini game. Oh yes, yes, I I, I recall that uh, actually. Yeah. So this was, uh, I believe, Pytil, right? Or or. Yeah, Pytil. SDK. Yeah, I see. Yeah, yeah. Just with the smart signature, uh, well, there, there, the, it was just uh, right after the release of ASA and um, and smart contract, yeah, smart signatures. Mm -hmm. uh, so. so just to backtrack a little bit, so I guess we are now in some time in 2017 or, or, or perhaps later, you're now a developer ambassador. You started uh, developing tutorials, making tutorials. You made one of uh, the first games using PyTeal on Algorand. Uh, but are you still tied to the electrical engineering uh, at that point or you're already sort of in the process of considering uh, to commit full-time into, into blockchain development? No, I was still, I had still a full-time job in a, as an electrical engineer. I was not considering at all to, to have a career in, in, uh, in blockchain because I, I, I felt that like a, a passion and hobby to commit my free time. Uh, but what, what happened uh, is that uh, Someday I uh, joined a, a meetup here in the South Italy uh, about mm -hmm. uh, blockchain, and they were very focused on on other technology like Ethereum and Bitcoin. But I said, guys, please me, can I give a speech on a, a new technology that I discovered that I think it's worth your time and my time? And they say yes. It was in the middle of COVID, uh, so. Um, uh, remote, very good mm -hmm. beginning of, of, of COVID. And somehow this recording 
has been noticed from for uh, by someone at, at, at Algorand that reached me out on LinkedIn and said, "Do you want to work with us?" And I say, "Yes, okay, let's do that." And uh, this is how I switched from my previous career to Algorand. Great, great. This is this is a really interesting transition, uh, and I guess I guess the most uh, interesting or the crucial part from that uh, story that you've had so far is the fact that you've always sort of liked this constrained environment where you have access to the compute, but the compute is limited. You have to essentially optimize for efficiency and memory as much as possible. And uh, what do you think is the most, I guess, useful concept or maybe an approach to just design or architectural thinking uh, from electrical engineering that you found very useful when transitioning to computer science and uh, software engineering field, specifically within blockchain? Um, yeah, so uh, having a mindset uh, in which, uh, so before starting uh, putting down any line of, of code, uh, have a, a rigorous method to uh, build design document in which uh, you have a clear vision uh, of, for example, let's let, let, let's take a smart contract. You mm -hmm. can start listing all the methods that this smart contract has, all the variables that it should uh, uh, use. Uh, hard that variable subject, for example, to mathematical operation that could overflow, underflow, uh, things like things like that are very uh, is something that I learned in my in my past career. I, I do not say mm -hmm. that I always applied this strictly, but it becomes natural to me uh, reasoning that in that way uh, because, for example, at the time I I, I know that uh, for a variable I. Maybe if there was a voltage or a temperature, uh, I uh, had fixed point math, so mm -hmm. I had to carefully uh, decide what's the precision. So uh, the natural mindset was spending time thinking about the architecture and the software and the variable and state space before actually coding. And yeah, this is something that helped me in working with smart contracts. This is yeah. This this is certainly a, a great approach. Like you know, with with the modern pace at which all the technological stacks are evolving and improving, like it is very easy to be to stop appreciating the amount of resources and capabilities that we have out of the box, and you can take anything that is out there, even just Python. You know, calculating uh, a certain process or just relying on the massive availability of compute power that we have. Right now, with our hands, with just uh, you know a few clicks of a, of a button, is, is is something that sometimes is good to reflect on and appreciate because developers in eighties and nineties, yeah, this this was hell of a different experience for people back then to to write computer programs. Maybe just one more personal question regarding your background before we proceed sure. to uh, the second section on what makes Algorand special. I was wondering if you could tell uh, to me and our listeners a little bit on what was your first programming language that uh, you've learned and and actually you know loved. 
Yeah, was C. C. That's C. great. Yeah. Great. Uh, yeah. Uh, I I remember uh, my 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 exam in in C uh, uh, was done on uh, with with uh, uh, pen and paper. So I had to to write the, code. the old fashioned way. <laughs> yeah, and and writing and written code. So no syntax highlighter, no ID, nothing. Just uh, rubber, uh, pen, and 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 paper. Um, and but yeah, C. Uh, I think it's a very very good way to learn uh, programming because it's not too abstract but not too low level. So it's just in the middle uh, and you, you, you can learn how the machine work, learn how the machine uh, is reasoning uh, without losing uh, the, the, the details in the abstraction of very abstracted language. So I, it's, it's been a while uh, the, um, after my last, programming C, but uh, C has been a very, very good school for me. Yeah, I, I would also highly recommend the book from uh, Brian Kernigan and uh, Dennis Ritchie, creators of C programming language. The official uh, manual on the C programming language is uh, a, a great resource into, into programming yeah. in general. and. Uh, has everything you need basically to master that language. At the time, my book was, uh, I think it was a data and data or something like that. There was a lot of revisions to it, I believe. And yeah, it's uh, it's quite old. I think it's like, yeah. like late, late 70s or something like that. But yeah, it's uh, in my case, it was C++. So not not exactly C, but I'd say still you, know, you could you could go pretty low level yeah. if you want. Uh, all right. So this was a great introduction, Kusumo. Thank you. I, I think uh, this was certainly a an interesting choice that you made uh, in your career, and uh, it's it's great to see how you're applying experience uh, from the electrical engineering field towards something that, uh, on first glance, could seem like a completely different domain of, of engineering. So we've been talking and shooting a lot of definitions and fancy terms. Uh, the thing I want to do with this podcast, though, is uh, imagine that right now on the first episode, we are on level one. So if we had an RPG game, you know, our character is level one and he's okay. a generic software engineer from a different field. So it could be a full stack, mobile, backend, doesn't matter. He has no prior experience to blockchain development. He stumbled upon this podcast and we want to build this journey together. Basically, each episode is going to level up ourselves, myself. And, and, the, and the listeners. So we are still on the level one. And I believe there's a set of different concept concepts that we need to cover before we actually are able to answer the question of the second section. And the question is, what is Algorand? What makes Algorand special? And right. So we're going to use a lot of, with... of experience points. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> I believe we, 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 could, we could condense it to three or four um, concepts. Um, you know, I think it would be great to start with a definition of ledger. So I, I, I will give the stage to you, but just to give a little historical background into the ledgers, uh, it actually has a lot of ties in, in regards to human history. And it's something that humanity used 
for a very long period of time. You could trace it back to ancient Mesopotamians. Then there was a double entry system some that came out from some, somewhere from North Italy, I believe, in 1340 AD. Um, and then um, basically the concept of recording transactions on an an analog entity, which in this case, you know, the people used stone or made of uh, clay to write uh, quantities on there. So it's it's not new. And let's take it to the digital world. And Cosimo, stage is yours. Let's start with the ledger. Okay. So the the transition from analog to digital is something. It's it's a, it's a powerful concept that I think, or metaphor that I think uh, will be. Uh, useful. Uh, so the problem is uh, recording uh, who owns what, but if we want to generalize the problem is, so it's not transaction, so it's not just transferring uh, property, but is actually recording on the ledger the state of a common law knowledge which in the particular case of property could be a ledger of transaction. But if we want to generalize it is, okay, this is a book with the truth and uh, we collectively have to write next page of the book so that everybody could write the only truthful things. So uh, it's, uh, it's uh, a, a really hard problem. Uh, because if you take uh, the, the this the fact that this uh, uh, book or this ledger should be permissionless and uh, and public, otherwise it would be very simple to 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 add page for a very private closed uh, ledger. Uh, you you realize that the 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 structure and the, the problem. To, to be solved is uh, very similar to an infrastructural problem. Uh, meaning that these ledger are not just uh, information keepers. We will discover that these, the things that we call blockchain are really complex infrastructure made of hardware, software, and uh, cryptography and game theory. But let's start from the very beginning saying, okay, this is an infrastructure and a public infrastructure, so a public good maybe. So, and we are all responsible collectively to maintain this public good efficient and, 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 and working. So there is this common problem in infrastructure that is different, an infrastructure to be a, a useful infrastructure, uh, it should be uh, secure. So mm -hmm. if you take a road, uh, uh, you, you, you want to, to be sure that the bridge do not fall down and the people do not drive like crazy. Yeah. It's accessible. So for example, if you take a public infrastructure like a, a pipeline, you do not want someone to switch off pipeline. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's not a public good. And then it's, uh, it's uh, efficient in doing what has been signed for. For example, if you take the, the electrical grid, it should not waste a lot of energy to transport energy. So, so it should be efficient. So we and, have security, uh, accessibility, 
and efficiency. Exactly. Okay. And we will discover that in blockchain, these properties are renamed in somehow in another way, but the, 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 the core principle is very similar. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the ledger, so the, in, in the analog world, uh, we collectively live under the law of physics. And no matter how we can be upset, uh, we cannot change the law of physics. So law of physics are there. We can uh, just observe and discover and describe them, but mm-hmm. they that do not care if we want they to are change. absolute essentially this is an absolute yeah. constraint you can you can't violate them so this is exactly so you have yeah. an easy way to put everybody on the same ground in science because the law mm-hmm. is there and believe it or not uh, you can uh, not modify that yeah okay so in the in the analog world uh, we have thanks to the law of physics we have nice properties on systems that can evolve and uh, such those... as say entropy, arrow of time, things like that. Exactly. So a, a system can just evolve in one direction, and this is due to the thermodynamics. So everybody, humans, we do not need uh, a collective entity, a single centralized entity that says this is the arrow of time, because mm-hmm. physics provides that for itself. So we are all as humans align uh, in the analog world in a unique direction of time. In digital system, it's not that easy to do that. Uh, because if you take uh, a system in state A, then you transition to state B, and you go again in state A, it's hard to an external observer that will not follow the conversation to, to, to determine the fact that the second state A came after the first one, because our uh, very similar, maybe interchangeable. So the problem is that in the digital world and in the complex digital system, we need a unique notion of time. Mm-hmm. And this is something that this blockchain provides, a unique and provable hierarchy of events due to time. And the second, the second things that uh, law of physics uh, provides on atoms is that you cannot uh, cut and paste atom as you like or replace atoms as you like. Mm-hmm. And in information, this is this is uh, uh, hard. Uh, and so, to to have a, a system, a ledger that is spread globally, is decentralized. We need a common rule to enforce this property. One, time, and second, nobody can copy and paste the tampered information as they like. And we call, instead of, of law of physics, we call this mechanism consensus mechanism. Consensus mechanism. So once again, just a little backtracking. So we covered definition of ledger. We introduced the notion of a goal of the blockchain infrastructure and there is um the trilemma right we, we we have the three pillars that is something that for a long time was impossible to achieve or a lot of different stacks and and companies tried to essentially see if it's possible to to, to have a golden uh solution to the to, to it that could cover all of them um 
so after Ledger, we are now transitioning into the consensus protocol. I guess I would just quickly also mention that another definition for a Ledger could be is um, essentially a book of transactions, a book that records different transactions, right? And in this is something that I suppose our listeners could already be familiar with. Uh, I would recommend looking up on the definition of what block is, what transaction is, what state machine is. But I believe in order for us to proceed, it's 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 more than sufficient to at least have this understanding of what Cosimo just described in regards to um, the blockchain infrastructures and the ledger. So consensus protocol, right? Consensus and there, there are many different kinds and types of consensus protocols, right? If you were to make a, a short segue in terms of the types of the consensus mechanisms that Algorand is using, um, could you give us a little rundown of existing um, mechanisms out there and what is special about the consensus mechanism that Algorand is providing, which, which I believe is something that is the key to optimize for that uh, infrastructure trilemma. Yeah, sure. So uh, we have this ledger uh, that is organized uh, in, in, in blocks. Uh, uh, and these blocks uh, are verified. So uh, let's say that whatever is written in the block has been certified by the consensus. And we have also a proof, a, a, a digital uh, uh, fingerprint of the block before, so this enforces an error of time. So, okay. Different consensus protocol has been historically proposed uh, to let a distributed system of uh, unknown people to work together uh, as a whole as a and being in harmony in, in a fair uh, in, in, in a fair framework that could allow mm -hmm. someone to, to speak and propose the new page, the new block, the new piece of information on the ledger or the new state of the system because the ledger evolves as a state machine. So you can think of a new block also as an input that takes from a certain state zero to state one to state two. Mm -hmm. Okay. The problem is who should propose this block? Who should be elected and, and, and granted the right to speak in, in, the, in the system? So the, historically, the, uh, the consensus mechanism uh, that has been proposed um, found a way to require a commitment, showing a commitment in, in, in keeping the ledger safe by proving some kind of uh, interest or some kind of uh, work in work in this in, in at, the, at the beginning. Yeah. In other words, proof of work. For example, a lot of people may be familiar with Bitcoin and Ethereum. And in fact, Ethereum, I'm referring to not 2.0 that is upcoming, but the existing implementation. So this is uh, examples of proof of work. Um, consensus protocols where you have to solve a very complex mathematical puzzle essentially to prove and be eligible to to um to vote essentially for for the broke proposal um exactly and 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 the more computational resources you can show to commit and you can 
uh, exhibit, the more likely you are going to be elected as a, as a, a block proposer. The idea was brilliant at the beginning, but uh, in the history of technology, if, if you, if you uh, see the history of uh, the uh, engineering, all the, the, the engineering principle is that you want to uh, optimize to systems that produce more with spending less resources. And here uh, we can enter in a, in a very uh, hard uh, topic to be discussed because uh, there are vested interests, there are some maximalists. Uh, but as an engineer, uh, I believe that we have no counterexample of systems that evolve and impose themselves uh, in a way that you should um, show to spend more to obtain the same thing. So natural way of evolving technology is optimizing for technology that consume less to obtain more. And this is exactly why proof of stake uh, came, came out. Uh, because uh, if you, if you uh, think about it, it's a, a way to reach consensus in a way that is less uh, wasteful. And I, am, uh, I do not believe that wasting energy is a feature of the system because people say, no, this is not a bug of proof of work. This is a, the feature that we want. We can debate this on a different podcast because it's too too too, too <laughs> long to be solved here. <laughs> but uh, let's let let's align ourselves uh, to the outcome. What should be the outcome of the consensus protocol? Because otherwise, it's very difficult to to reason and compare. So the outcome of a consensus protocol should be finalize and user and a useful end-user transaction in a decentralized, secure, and scalable way. So what that is mean is that the, pur the, the, old, the purpose of this machine should be uh, exactly finalize a transition of a state. And everybody should be aware of that in, in a few seconds. And can verify that this transition of state is the legit transition of is a legit transition of state, and uh, the 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 proof of stake basically removes the commitment uh, that proof of work requires by showing resources as computational and energy resources by a commitment that requires you to show the fact that you own something on this uh, on this ledger so you are interested in keeping the ledger safe because you have something to stake in it yeah you basically exactly. you're going to lose uh, some money or it could be some potential resource so essentially you you sort of invest and put a stake into it it's, uh, this this is something that supposed to incentivize your decision making to stay truthful Exactly, because uh, these systems are, are a combination of uh, information technology, cryptography, and game theory. 
it's it's like a, a, pro, a, a communication protocol. It's like a, the TCP/IP that can work if and only if it it has some economic value. Otherwise, it doesn't yeah. work. So the the uh, the value, the economical value, is a necessary feature of this uh, consensus mechanism or protocols. And uh, there there were different ways of uh, requiring people to show uh, commitment as a stake historically, uh, like delegated proof of stake, uh, because uh, people can, can, can say, uh, okay, uh, I, am, uh, I have a little tiny fraction of stake, but uh, uh, the barrier to the entrance has, are so high, maybe, that it's more worth delegating my stake to someone that can aggregate uh, power over the, the ledger to, to, to be elected. And this uh, has been done also because it's very difficult to orchestrate large consensus uh, among several nodes. So delegated proof of stake, uh, it's, a, it's a shortcut, uh, I think, to, to reach consensus because you say you have 21 validators and these 21 validators are the only allowed to propose the next page of the ledger, although they, their stake has been delegated from someone, uh, from someone else. And the problem with this approach is that since you know the nodes in advance, it's very easy to target those nodes with denial of service. Maybe it's like playing battleship, knowing in advance the coordinate of the of the ships of your adversary. That's or why. Or if we take an even higher analogy, this this is basically how well most democratic countries operate, right? You you have politicians. And uh, they, they make decision-making people delegate decision-making to them. So you know who to target if you were to, 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 to do some malicious, malicious work, basically. Um, yeah. And for, uh, for a little recap here, for people who maybe spaced out a little bit while listening to this, we covered the topic of the consensus mechanisms. We talked a bit about the proof of work and now we are essentially doing a breakdown of the types of the proof of stake consensus mechanisms. And this is slowly leading us to the consensus mechanism that is specific to our grant. And we're talking, going to talk a little bit more about uh, the approach there and what makes it special, essentially. Yeah. And, and um, so the, this forms of, of, of consensus uh, has been criticized uh, because uh, ended up being really centralized some, somehow. And we cannot make a discount on decentralization uh, because otherwise we lose some of uh, one of the fund fundamental properties of this infrastructure. Exactly. And so, the problem uh, seems to be unsolvable until, I think, Silvio managed to propose a very, very elegant architecture uh, that is so elegant that is easily understandable uh, also by non-expert uh, at all. And the clever, the clever uh, idea is 
is that if you have a stake uh, in this uh, in this system, you should not delegate this stake to someone else, and you should not bind the stake uh, locking that your 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 liquidity because this will create economical barrier to the entrance of this consensus mechanism. So the problem was, can we have a proof of stake consensus mechanism that is at the same time secure? So not, not knowing in advance the nodes that are going to, to, to validate the block can be decentralized. So even me with a tiny fraction of stake can take part to the consensus protocol and scalable so this can work in 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 matter of seconds and not a uh, dozen of of, of minutes and uh, requiring uh requiring low energy consumption and this is the key point of algorand so the key point is that algorand is not uh scalable uh uh, decentralized, a secure, and then efficient. But Algorand is efficient, and so it's scalable, secure, and decentralized. So if a computational efficiency is the very fundamental working principle of Algorand. And then we, we managed to be scalable, secure, and decentralized. Because the clever idea that Silvio had, um, and I, uh, like an engineer, I always I like to make this uh, this example in in classical in engineering uh, in thermodynamics you have this concept of uh, cardinal machine that says that no matter how you 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 cleverly in, can engineering a thermal machine there is an upper bound of efficiency that you cannot break mm -hmm. and Silvio somehow managed to do a leapfrog toward this computational efficiency that given the property that you want and a good trade-off between security, scalability, and decentralization, he managed to find, for me, uh, at time of speaking, the most efficient way to, to, to get this, this property together. And the key point was a, an idea that he developed over time, which is verifiable randomness or verifiable mm -hmm. random function, which is the part of algorithm. Yeah. Could you tell us a bit more about the specifics of this consensus mechanism? Yeah, sure. The, the idea is that, okay, everybody has some stake uh, on, this, uh, on this ledger and you can Think uh, and we call these uh, native resources uh, algo on on algorithm, and you can think each unit of algo like uh, a magic cryptographical uh, dice that you can roll in a distributed uh, global dice roll, and each the the magic uh, we call that magic, but it's a mat mathematic. It's cryptography, it's mathematics, uh, somehow gives to these uh, awesome dices some properties, which are you cannot tamper the result of the dice rule. So, by no means, also, if you have the computational power of a nation state, 
you can unbalance the dice so that maybe the face number six comes out more frequently than the face number four. As an observer, if you keep observing this randomness, you are not going to learn nothing. And you are not increasing by any chance the probability of guessing the next result. So it's a very, very pure randomness. Mm -hmm. And uh, each dice is signed by its owner. So if I own uh, an algo, I can sign the fact that this dice, uh, this die is mine. And the other very interesting property is that once I roll this die, everybody in a matter of microsecond can verify that Cosimo rolled that dice and obtained six in this time. So it's a, a random, randomness that is easily verifiable. The idea is take this mechanism to implement a fair way to elect the next block proposer without requiring wasting energy or computational resources. And then using again this mechanism to elect a committee that verify what I propose is consistent. So for example, if I, uh, I have been elected, I propose a block which represent the transition of the state from zero to one, meaning that the transition of the state could, could contain an update balance for my tokens, an update of a variable of a, of a smart contract. But whatever I propose is then counter-verified by a committee which has been elected at random with the same mechanism. And everybody then gives an opinion okay, this, this block is it's good or is not good. And uh, if we reach quorum, the block is appended to the chain and is immediately final, which is impressive because other blockchain requires several confirmation of blocks before you can be sure that that modification is good. In is we call that instantaneous finality. And this is the very powerful feature that makes Algorand a network that can confirm blocks in a few seconds with a throughput of uh, thousands of transactions. Today, we are at 1,000 transactions and we are going to scale up to 6,000. And uh, yes, and basically made this public infrastructure the best infrastructure to solve the trilemma. This is, this is really, this is really, amazing uh approach to to consensus mechanisms for 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 the people who uh were listening to us so far uh just to recap uh, here basically what cosimo was saying in regards to the focus on designing this blockchain with efficiency in mind as as the core priority as the core sort of capability of the chain is, is something that is also a big contributor to, to, to features like instantaneous finality. And if you look at the other things that were happening in the industry of the past years, ever since there was a stronger push towards greener technology and carbon negative emissions, uh, there were certain techs and, 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 and stacks that had the energy efficiency as, as, as side of, sort of a sidecar, something that was implemented to, to tamper with this uh, requirement as we live in in a world where you know there's uh, 
scientific evidence on the on the warming and that the temperature is rising and we we need to to work on the carbon offset uh, on, on the mass scale and so in case of algorand this was something that was basically figured out since day one because efficiency was the core priority of the chain and as you can see here in combination with the consensus mechanism which to expand on this i believe is called pure proof of stake um, we have a really efficient infrastructure that solves the trilemma i hope this is sufficient amount of information for you guys to 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 listen to it and start uh, uh, researching on this a bit deeper um, but me and cosimo are going to move on uh, due to the time constraints that we are having but perhaps as as a final question for this topic so we covered a lot of important aspects and a lot of important concepts here we covered the ledger transactions blocks different types of the different types of the consensus mechanisms now what is algorand right algorand has different meanings algorand is a company we have algorand inc right which is the company with the core developer team who uh, are, are the geniuses behind the amazing features and capabilities going on. We have the Algorand Foundation, and then we have Algorand as, as, as the blockchain infrastructure. Perhaps in this particular case, could you talk a bit about uh, the organizational aspects? What is the difference, for example, between Algorand Inc. and Algorand Foundation? Yeah, so the Algorand Foundation is the steward of the algo and the specific of the protocol. So the, the very high level uh, theoretical uh, idea uh, is like it's uh, it's like imagine an open source foundation like uh, Linux Foundation. So mm -hmm. it's uh, the steward of the ecosystem. The Algorand Inc is a technological company that has an implementation mandate uh, from the uh, foundation to actually translate uh, this wonderful idea into tools, technology, documentation, libraries uh, to fill the gap between the theory and the practice. So to deliver to developers, engineers, and builders the tools and the infrastructure itself to build on and, and, and work. So this is basically the, the idea. I see. I see. So now that we can finally talk about Algorand, and by Algorand in this case, I would be referring to the blockchain and its capabilities. Tell us a little bit about layer one, right? And so for, for, for people who are not familiar with uh, this terminology, this in, in this particular case would be referring to the core set of the capabilities that uh, the infrastructure provides out of the box. So, for example, in case of Bitcoin, uh, the main capability there is is the transfer transfer of value, right? It's a decentralized way of transferring value. In in, in on the example of Bitcoin itself, uh, in case of Algorand, though, I suppose this we could have a closer analogy to chains like ethereum so it's more it's it's not just the transfer of the token itself the algorand uh, algo token there is more to that could you talk a bit about the most notable features that the algorand blockchain provides out of the box sure so um 
It's very important to remark that all the features that I'm, I'm going to mention are built on layer one. Uh, and maybe we can expand a little more after on what does it mean. Uh, but basically, Algorand provides uh, out of the box uh, features that can be fully combined between themselves to build very complex uh, kind of decentralized application. So Algorand is an an account-based uh, blockchain, uh, and each, each account could be uh, controlled uh, in, by regular private uh, public keys. So the first feature is having an account and uh, having a, a secret key and performing your actions. But this account can be also controlled by several keys. So another interesting feature is on an algorithm, you can have multi-signatures. So you can have account uh, to really share your decision-making between several parties. But you can also have an account that is controlled by a smart contract, which is very powerful. So in algorithm, we have this execution environment that is built on top of the layer one that we call Algorand Virtual Machine, that basically is an execution environment that, uh, uh, a trustless execution environment that can perform computation uh, in a Turing complete way. So it's, it's a Turing complete machine that they can execute code uh, to uh, operating and computating uh, on inputs and giving you output that can be stored on the ledger itself. And to combine these together, so imagine this very powerful uh, execution environment, different kind of uh, different kind of accounts that can interact uh, humans with, with smart contracts, smart contract with smart contract. Uh, in Algorand, we have another very interesting feature that we call uh, atomic transfer or group transaction, which is a cryptographical glue to combine together different interaction on very complex multi-party transaction to uh, be sure that either all the effects are satisfied or nothing happens. So, Imagine to have different smart contracts and different human beings that should uh, cooperate to uh, accomplish a very complex transaction or update of the state of the system. Uh, but you do not want to expose anybody to counterparty risks. So mm -hmm. you do not want to a smart contract go first and then you go after or the other way around. Uh, Algorand allows you to combine all the transaction together and make sure that the effects are instantaneously reached together or nothing happens. So uh, in a trustless way, we can cooperate in a very, very powerful way, building very complex interactions. So and we have a set of transactions bundled in an atomic group. If any of the transactions do not satisfy the condition of the smart contract, the entire transaction could fail. So we could, for example, take a, a simpler analogy. Imagine that you are going to a cinema with your friend 
and you're about to pay for the tickets and you're paying for your friends with your money and then your friend needs to send uh, the amount that he owes you. And an atomic group could actually allow you to let your friend pay the money to yourself for the amount that you're about to pay to the cinema. And all of that can happen in an instantaneous single atomic group with finality of 4.4 seconds. Exactly. And, and if, you, if you think about it, this is very, very powerful because you can obtain together the effect of several smart contracts and the capability of the smart contract in Algorand are very, very impressive. Uh, for example, smart contracts can create transactions, smart contracts can call other smart contracts to ask for uh, results of a computation. They can read other entities, like they can access uh, the information of an account, they can read another smart contract. So you have a, several actions that can be executed in a block. Somehow those transactions could be unrelated, so there is no, no, no problem in, in, in losing uh, atomicity. But in other case, you want to orchestrate these very complex effects together. And this is how this is where the atomic transfer really, really helps. And uh, talking about smart contracts and a new feature that uh, is going to be uh, released uh, is what we call boxes. So today, uh, the, the, the amount of memory that you have in application uh, is divided between two kinds of memory space. So each application has a global memory, which is common to everybody. That So to all the participants of the, the, the application of the smart contract, share this global uh, piece of memory that is controlled by the smart contract. And you have another piece of memory, which is global, that maybe records a variable that belongs to specific user participating in the, in the decentralized application. With, with boxes, we are going to improve and extend the amount of memory that globally the application can consume on-chain. Uh, and you can pay as you go. So you can allocate memory as you need. Uh, because today you have to pre-allocate memory, so you have to do your math and you have to say, okay, I'm going to need this amount of memory, but you don't really know how to scale up. With boxes, you can do that. And this is a nice feature that we are going to, to add to, to the layer one. Yeah, for, for many developers out there who are already familiar with the Algorand development, I believe this is a common pain point. A lot of people, uh, especially projects that do gaming on Algorand blockchain. Uh, there's a lot of edge cases when you essentially need a smart contract to have enough space to, let's say, if you have a game, an RPG game, and you want to have a backpack with a lot of swords, right? You have to extend the amount of storage available globally to sync the state and to uh, allow for different customizations. And this is one of the ways how once again something that is going to appear as a capability out of the box and it's going to enhance on the existing uh, features that's stateful and uh, stateful smart contracts provide 
Uh, I'm a little bit curious on the implementation side, though, in regards to the box storage. Uh, for example, in, in in my case, whenever I need a storage, and we are talking about the Web3 space, uh, an easy example could be to rely on some IPFS provider, right? Like uh, Pinata Gateway, or we have the Web3.storage uh, that provides like one terabyte for free as a, on a free plan. Of course, with IPFS, everything is public, so you shouldn't store any secret information in there, but uh, it's usually a pretty easy uh, entry point if, if you need, just need a quick uh, blob storage to, to, to store some you know, text file or, or configuration file. But in case of Algorand box storage, is this something that purely relies on the um, you know, compute capabilities of, let's say, AVM, or it's something that works in tandem with some already existing Web3 technology? In other words, what, what is the storage in this particular case? What, um, where does the data get to? In, what, 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 let's say a person adds a new box to his account. So the, the, the concept of uh, on-chain uh, memory uh, do not change that much in the sense that uh, it's not because of boxes that Algorand is going to be a storage layer. No, uh, we uh, sh should not uh, somehow conflate the two different roles. But uh, with, with boxes, you are going to uh, be able to improve your computational uh, capability because you have uh, access to on-chain memory, although this uh, is not intended to be a repository of files or uh, even information. So the, the role continues to be very similar to the role that mm -hmm. on-chain memory has today. Mm -hmm. uh, but the next feature is that it's dynamic. You can allocate that memory as you as you need, and, uh, and and basically this solves other problems uh, of scalability because today to scale up memory we rely on the fact that if we have thousand users in an application we can rely on the fact that we have thousand pieces of local memory to 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 play with. The problem is that since the the memory is local. It's, it's uh, right and fair uh, to say to user, you are the owner of the local space, so you can also uh, choose to opt out the application uh, and the local, st the local state is gone. So with, with boxes, we have a way, for example, to store information related to the users, and we can scale up, preventing the the user to delete these uh, these uh, this information because the the the, the on-chain storage uh, cost is backed by the application creator itself. So, for example, if you have an application in which a variable represents something negative to the user, maybe a debt, uh, you do not want to let user cancel the the debt as they wish. But you want to maintain scalability because you maybe want to track depths of thousands of users. Mm -hmm. And Box is a way to do that. And do you need to rely on a stateful smart contract in order to use this feature? Or it's something that could also be applied to smart signatures? 
And no, for, for the listeners out there, smart signatures was a way to call stateless smart contracts before, right? The terminology was that we have stateful and stateless smart contracts. Stateless are just escrow accounts that execute the logic without uh, an implicit state attached. And stateless, by definition, is something as we're talking right now. It, it has a storage. We have global storage. We have local storage. And the upcoming box capability will allow us to essentially worry even less about the amount of storage that we have. But uh, sorry, yeah, going back to that question. Um, so is it a capability that is specific to the stateful smart contracts in this case? Yeah, right. Because the, the, Algorand, the Algorand virtual machine has this architecture that is splitted into hemispheres in the sense that if you have a the source code, the ETL source code, which execute computation on, on a stack, uh, this source code can take inputs from two different worlds. The transactions that call the, the source code itself, so the inputs are inputs that come along with the transaction. So there is no previous information, you do not access memory and we call this stateless execution or if you want to access information that have been recorded previously so that exists independently from the fact that the transaction is created you are dealing with stateful execution and yes boxes are going to deal with stateful execution i see and Another interesting thing, and sorry, by the way, just a quick remark. Uh, Cosimo mentioned word teal. So for listeners out there, teal is a language for developing smart contracts on Algorand. It is has, I would say, a rather different approach to um, if, if to some other blockchain ecosystems, such as Ethereum, where, for example, Solidity is closer. It's more like a C-like language. Uh, it's the transition there is easier, but in case of Teal, I believe, which I suppose could be simpler to understand for people who have some basic understanding of what assembly is. But luckily, there is a lot of development going on in that space so that developers have to worry less and less about, you know, actually dealing with the native Teal code. And there are different transpiling frameworks that allow you to... Um, Right, in the programming language you're comfortable with, and then that gets tra tra transpiled into teal code, and this is uh, something that will actually go into uh, a call that uh, sends the code to uh, the algo node that then compiles it for execution. Another interesting thing, and the focus that Algorand is doing right now, um, is, is the fact that you... Like as a company, Algorand doesn't say that you know we want to be the leader, we want to be dominator, we want to be benevolent in the space, and we are going to crush our competition. Right? The the, the there is a, a really brilliant approach in the sense that you guys also understand the importance of other chains. Right? Uh, maybe okay, there won't be billions of different stacks in the future, but there would be a subset of technologies that will outlast and will survive and will provide essential value. Um, and they would need to somehow communicate between each other. So I, I, I saw that with the recent keynotes that, uh, that were announced recently, along with the box storage, one of the long, I would say, awaited features that is coming is, is, is the state proofs. Um, and I know that there is a lot of 
theoretical uh, material that would need to be covered to actually go do a deep dive there. But if you just briefly cover a little bit, what are state proofs and what is so special about uh, this feature and why Algorand is currently actually putting a lot of focus on that particular area? Sure. So uh, as I said, we, we believe this world is a multi-chain world. So the reality is complex and we cannot pretend to be uh, a single source uh, of computation and truth uh, for, for uh, the, the old world. So we, we have to cooperate and we have to coexist with other interesting technologies. And the, the problem is that two different blockchain uh, do not know each other well. So if I have a blockchain A and a blockchain B, somehow there should be someone that read blockchain A and says to blockchain B what happened, for example, on, on algorithm. Because imagine I want to take action on blockchain B based on the fact that Cosimo on blockchain A executed the smart contract. But blockchain B itself is not aware of the external world. So imagine two different universes and these universe are not, communi not communicating. So the, uh, they're, they're, we need a, a way to let the information flow from universe A to universe B. The solution that people uh, found historically to this problem was intermediating this uh, uh, information flow with technology that we call bridges. So someone or a committee or a, a small network of other nodes that have the duty of reading blockchain A and informing blockchain B. The problem is that we it, uh, do not make sense to improve consensus mechanism the, the way Algorand did to then rely on centralized or less secure way to communicate algorithm generate the information to the outside world. So the key point is why not to use our consensus protocol to validate our state in a convenient way that is understandable in efficient way outside. So state proof is like a way of algorithm of taking selfie of itself. So it's a snapshot mm -hmm. of its state. That is and taking every like what 15, 15 minutes or something like that. Or yeah, the, the, there's the, a fixed time yeah. interval basically. Yeah. Exactly. Imagine imagine algorithm as as a way uh, a state proof as a way of taking regular snapshot of algorithm and. The beauty of that is those snapshots are generated the same way the blocks are generated somehow. So there is the same level of security, decentralization, because it's the consensus protocol itself that validates its own state. And these allow to algorithm to produce very, very compact certificates of the state that anybody outside can read and understand. So somehow state proof, which is another 
layer one feature, because it's produced by the consensus protocol itself, is a way for Algorand acting as an oracle of its own state to someone else, where this someone else could be another chain, maybe Ethereum, that maybe we want maybe, uh, to know something about Algorand, but this is someone else could be other an, a node runner that want to join Algorand. Uh, because in this way, uh, a node runner that joins the ecosystem uh, has two possibilities. If you want to remove any kind of trust in the Algorand uh, system, you can say, this is the software of the node, this is the genesis block, you can re-verify the whole history of the chain. Good luck, it will take some time, but you will end up knowing the same state, the present state that everybody knows without trusting anybody. But if you can admit a little uh, amount of trust, which is the trust in the, in the, in the working principle of Algorand itself, you can say, hey, Algorand give me this snapshot and says, Trust me, because the, this has been generated by the consensus protocol. This is the, snap, the snapshot of the state at block 20 million. You do not need to re-verify everything again. Start from here. So state proof are also a nice way to let people join Algorand easily. Yeah, because you essentially, yeah, as you said, don't need to run through uh, starting from the Genesis block. You could skip certain iterations. You run over those snapshots, and this speeds up the time it takes for you to basically sync up with the latest state. And I, if if I'm if I'm right, there is also a, a notion of um, something that I believe uh, is is pretty actively being discussed for the upcoming Ethereum. 2.0, but uh, the notion of the snark proofs, uh, which I believe in this particular case, and once again, we don't want to go too deep into it, but a snark proof um, is kind of like a meta proof that says that, okay, I don't know, like I'm not providing you the state proof, but I know a state proof that with a certain probability could say that, okay, there, there's a majority of the network that actually approved the, the, the validity of the state. And once again, going back to the consensus mechanism, um, anything you, you, you could add a little bit on the snark proofs and what could be, I guess, a, a, a great use case for it. Yeah, so this technology is a technology that allows us to shrink the amount of information that you need uh, in order to read and parse the, the, the state proof that Algorand uh, generated. Because um, imagine if, you, if st uh, the state proof generated is, uh, is, uh, is, is big, it could be art for other blockchain that have uh, also limited amount of computational resources to read and understand the, and verify the, the, the proof itself. Uh, so the problem is not only generating proof, but generating proof that can be conveniently and efficiently understood by someone else. So snarks, ZK snarks are a way to shrink and collect signature and shrink the amount of information without losing uh, 
properties uh, of security about the proof. So it's like a compressing uh, mechanism to, to allow also a very small light client that runs on, on maybe on a, an Ethereum with a smart contract to be able to understand uh, the, and verify the, the, the proof. And uh, just to clarify for the listeners, ZK SNARK is actually an acronym. It's not uh, something that uh, mathematicians came up just for the fun of the of the way it sounds, but it stands for zero knowledge, succinct, non-interactive argument of knowledge. So uh, I guess you, you understand why uh, it had to be converted into an acronym because uh, pronouncing it every time in a, in a paper or in a, in a, in a, in a podcast would, would, would be torturous. <laughs> so for the sake of time, um, let's move on with uh, a bit more dev-specific topics. I know we are going a little bit over time, but I think there is a lot of no problem. really <laughs> interesting material that we've covered. And it, I think it made, certainly made sense for us to stop on them and cover them in a bit more detail. But uh, moving towards the development ecosystem. So for people who, let's say, have certain exposure to Algorand uh, ecosystem already, and for, for people who don't have any exposure there, this would be the final question of this podcast. Uh, we would briefly touch base on what advice would we have for, 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 for people who want to basically get their hands on uh, blockchain development on Algorand. So, one of the things that was something somewhat of a struggle in in the early days when when the ecosystem just started expanding but this was um for some engineers you know we could say that this could relate to the learning curve of the teal language right i i, I believe uh, things like PyTeal, for example weren't instantly available in the beginning, all of those are open source framework that Algorand maintains. And we haven't mentioned this explicitly, but by the way, Algorand is open source. So you can read the white paper, you can open the GitHub uh, organization and see the implementation of various um, mechanisms that you could also see and uh, have some supplemented material uh, backed by theory. Uh, but the notion of dealing with smart contracts for any engineer who just getting their hands on blockchain development is, is, is there's a there's a learning curve basically and it's it, it's not necessarily an easy process but what's even harder is having an infrastructure that allows you to easily test them right and when we talk about algorithm development in 2022 so this is what uh, we are in june 2022 there was a lot of packages and frameworks that has been developed since then and they keep evolving and expanding but what would you say is a great recommended testing stack for smart contracts on algorand and we can make a breakdown for two groups so for small and medium organizations and let's say it's a large scaled project with high stakes like a dex or a bank or something that would basically from day one would assume that it will support a large audience. Yeah, sure. Um, PyTL, uh, first of all, is, is a great abstraction of the, of the EVM because uh, like, like I said, the algorithm virtual machine can be programmed in a, this low level language that we call 
PyTeal, and then on top of it, you have this library that we call PyTeal that lets you program in, in, uh, in Python. But if you face uh, the problem of developing a smart contract, uh, you are going to deal with different tools that Algorand uh, provides. Because uh, remind that the, the Algorand network expose APIs uh, that are then abstracted and wrapped in what we call SDKs. So uh, that are delivered in JavaScript, in Python, and uh, in, in, in Java. And so to execute the natural feature that the, the year one provides. This is one part of the interaction with, with the, the network. The other part of the interaction is actually programming the virtual machine. So let me state clearly that in Algorand, it's not always the case uh, that you need to program the Algorand uh, virtual machine. For example, if you are new to blockchain and just want to create a token, the fact that Algorand provides tokenization as a framework on layer one means that just with an API call or a single line of Python SDK, you can obtain a token. And these, in, in this kind of very uh, first introductory, introductory application, uh, testing will be much easier because you are not going to deal with programming the smart contract itself. But when it comes to having your hands on, uh, on the Algorand virtual machine, I can recommend, this is my stack. This is, uh, I'm going to talk, uh, I'm going to talk about my usual stack, which is not the mm -hmm. mandatory, uh, it's just a stack that I found useful for, for, for myself, but feel free to explore others if you like. So basically my usual stack is a Python stack. Uh, and uh, the environment uh, to run, compile, and execute testing uh, that they usually uh, have set it up is through the Algorand sandbox. So the Algorand sandbox is the first piece of the stack that you should uh, be aware of because it's a way to create a micro network, micro algorithm network with just yourself inside. And this allow you to use the, what we call the sandbox in dev mode. So imagine you have this Docker container uh, that runs locally, or could be also integrated in your continuous integration uh, pipeline. And if you run this sandbox in dev mode, you have a complete Algorand uh, set of tools without the latency of the consensus protocol. So imagine that this, although Algorand has a few seconds of, uh, of latency for generating block, if you have to run uh, a bunch of, I don't know, 100 unit tests against a smart contract, this could take a while. So sandbox in dev mode is the first piece of the stack that you should use. Of course, working in Python, uh, the Pine Algorand SDK is a, a very powerful tool because allow you to create accounts, token, multi-signatures, uh, atomic uh, transfer, 
just with few lines of, uh, of Python. And then the very uh, powerful combination in PyTil is that uh, in PyTil you can code uh, a smart contract with the Python extraction that then are compiled down to Teal and then compiled down to, to bytecode, uh, essentially. And um, the, the, my, my usual setup is this way. So I start with a design document that lists all the method of a, of a smart contract. And each method of a smart contract can be permissioned or permissionless. For example, uh, permissionless uh, means that everybody can call the, the method. Permissioned, just some account can call this, this method. So first of all, uh, when you have uh, these two cases, permissioned over permissionless, when you are in a permissionless way of executing a method of a smart contract, you should list all the preconditions uh, that you may want to verify before approving or rejecting uh, a smart contract code. And once you list the precondition, you can then list the effect that that method should uh, apply to the blockchain, like transferring a token, creating a token, uh, uh, updating a variable. Having all the precondition listed, uh, listed uh, is useful because you can test each of them. Uh, and I usually recommend a testing framework like PyTest, which are very convenient to create unit tests because you have uh, these uh, concept of fixtures or test parametrization that uh, allow you to be very repeatable. So imagine that you have a list of, I don't know, three precondition that should be met in order to approve or reject a, tra a transaction. You, it's, it's convenient to write proof for each Scenario. So, for example, if you expect that the, this particular transaction is rejected, create a transaction that is rejected and actually prove that your smart contract is rejecting the transaction. Or if you want to test your happy path because you expect this transaction to be approved, build that and throw that against the smart contract and actually verify that the transaction is approved. So for each interaction that the smart contract has that requires some precondition, build unit tests. And PyTest in combination with the PyAlgorand SDK and PyTil is a very flexible environment to build very uh, specific tests uh, to cover with a lot of flexibility, uh, any scenario of uh, smart, smart contract uh, execution. And the, the last resources uh, that you have to debug a smart contract and to test is the TL debugger. So suppose that you want to test the happy path and you were expecting this transaction to be approved, but turn out that is rejected. So there is something that is not going wrong, uh, going right in the source code itself. So you, you want to verify where 
the, the smart contract is not behaving as you expect. And you want to execute the source code line, line by line. Uh, the tilt debugger is a, a, a tool that you have uh, that works in this way. You take the transaction uh, that is supposed to be approved and you, and you dry run this transaction against the present state of the chain. So you take the state of the chain, you dry run it, and you get the result of a transaction that is not actually committed to the chain, but is represented in a JSON file that will behave as if it were committed. And uh, I, I code for myself some utilities, for example, to automatically write the, the, the uh, dry run transaction with try catch on, on transaction failure to speed up the generation of the dry run uh, request to, to be submitted to the tilde debugger. And once you have this dry run, you can invoke the tilde debugger that open up uh, the Chrome debugger that actually allows you to execute line by line uh, the code of the, of the smart contract. So uh, again, to, to summarize, build a design document for your smart contract, list all the methods, list all the precondition for each method, build unit tests for each precondition, and if the test does not behave the way you want, the last resource is to deal the bugger. And to expand on this, um, when we, when you're mentioning the specification for um, for the smart contract to be defined, or in other words, let's say we, we basically write a requirement for um, all the expectations that we have uh, from the contract that we are about to write, are there any standardized templates or uh, perhaps conventions that algorithm provides in regards to um, designing uh, the smart contracts or in this particular case this is your personal preference and just personal approach that you like to do like i'm i, I understand the notion of creation of the uh requirement file i'm just curious you know if there's anything out there in the open source uh ecosystem that attempts to templatize or standardize uh, this particular document Sure. So uh, recently, I worked on uh, a reference implementation of uh, what we call Smart ASA, and it's not public yet, but uh, it's going to be uh, published. So in that case, you uh, the uh, reference implementation is based on the design document, which is the R20. So you can start thinking. Uh, uh, taking the R20 like the first uh, step for a design uh, document for uh, for a project, in which you state all the interfaces of the of the smart contract uh, and and describe uh, the uh, expected behavior of the smart contract. And the R20, for example, has been built with uh, the ABI uh, standard in mind. Uh, which is a very, very convenient way to standardize uh, smart contract method calls uh, and define signatures uh, and define the interfaces in a JSON uh, file to mm -hmm. let people understand how to call the smart contract. 
And uh, when, when we are going to release the reference implementation, you will see then that that uh, guideline, which is described in the ARC uh, uh, 20, is then has been implemented the way I described. So with PyTest, uh, unit tests, uh, client, PyTL implementation, and maybe you can uh, have a journey in that uh, source code to, uh, it's not the Bible, it's not, it's a, but it's a, the way I found uh, most reasonable to, to translate the reference doc, which is the ARC20, into a reference implementation, which is a mm -hmm. well test. So once mm -hmm. we release this, uh, what we call smart ASA standard, you will have also an open source template or maybe example of, uh, of the concept that I was describing. And for listeners out there, especially with engineering, software engineering backgrounds, uh, ARC in some sense is essentially Algorand's take on uh, RFC documents or so something that you uh, may be familiar as, as uh, you know, request for comments do documents. It's something that has been utilized for a very long period of time, I believe since 90s. And uh, as Cosimo just described, there would be examples so on, on how you could implement some of these uh, design specs for yourself while, while developing the smart contracts. Yeah. And, and sorry, go ahead. I, I just wanted to make a little analogy here that, uh, you know, some more experienced developers could say that, you know, we have things like Algo Builder, we have things like Reach, by the way, which is a, a language that allows to compile your smart contracts into different chains. So you could write a, uh, a a smart contract in the reach language, and then this will be compiled to and, and could be deployed to Algorand, Ethereum, and different nodes. Then we also have, as Cosimo just described, PyTeal and PyTest. And going back to the analogy we had in the beginning, it was the first programming language that you learned, which is C. Uh, I believe if we were to take that notion into the testing of smart contracts, this is something that I, I think is relatively close to that um, you know, sweet spot when we are not super low level it's still python right python is very easy and straightforward has very easy and straightforward syntax the kids can write in it and debug in it um but at the same time it's very flexible because it's right above teal basically there's only a single transpilation that is going on so i think irregardless of the size of your project it's 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 in the worst case, it's still a really nice learning experience because you are going to learn a lot uh, in this case. There is, we don't say that it's an easy configuration, um, but at the same time, it's very flexible basically. And Python just gives you uh, an ability to not worry much about the setup. If you're familiar with any um, development stack on Python uh, and familiar with PyTest, it is essentially nothing new. You write, you, you, you do pip install um, PyTeal, you write the smart contract, uh, you add the test folder. If you use some nice IDEs, by the way, Teal debugger also is available as a Visual Studio code extension. And you could look up some sources on the awesomealgo.com. Um, 
but essentially, yeah, I think this is something that I, I, I would strongly agree with you in regards to the testing stack. There is a, a small time investment that you need to do to set it up initially, but once it's set up, extending it is, is really easy. And this flexibility that it provides to you and ability to uh, essentially control a lot of, uh, of aspects in regards to the transpilation is just very convenient. Um, you could also see some of the examples of uh, how this could be used uh, on some open source projects in the ecosystem. For example, the AlgoWorld Swapper, and thank you, Cosmo, for the contributions in there. Uh, but you could see the AlgoWorld Contracts repository where we use the CI. Uh, and as Cosimo was describing, uh, there is pure PyTest and PyTeal used on the repository. We have the GitHub action that spins up Algorand Sandbox, so a mini Algorand network on each pull request. And essentially, uh, I, I guess it, it's not a unit test in this particular case, right? Because we run actual transactions against actual small instance of a chain. So it's more of end-to-end, -end, but uh, yeah. this, it certainly gives you way more confidence in whether your smart contracts is, is uh, important or not. And it's one of the most crucial aspects of any smart contract development. As we said, stakes are very high. It could be a financial system. It could be a bank. It doesn't really matter your users could lose money. So you have to do extreme due diligence when testing your smart contracts because that's all that matters in this particular case. Um, exploitation of it is, 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 is often referred to the human factor. So it, it, uh, it, it, it's just a very important aspect that you should pay a lot of attention to your... Um, DApp should always have a very, very solid setup in regards to testing uh, of your smart contracts. So... And, uh, like you said, there are uh, there are uh, other tools like Reach, like Algo Builder, and I will let other developers comment on that since I am not uh, uh, very very familiar with that because I'm more familiar with this stuff. But the the, the fact that I want to highlight with the stuff that I mentioned is that, for example, it's very very flexible because PyTeal has a nice uh, and seamless interaction with all the pipe tools that you already have out there, like PyTest, uh, continuous integration. And it's very flexible also uh, with respect to the algorithm virtual machine because it's an abstraction that do not lose flexibility in, in using opcodes uh, with very specific uh, usage of the algorithm uh, virtual machine. So it's, it's an abstraction, but not too much abstracted so that you lose controllability over the, the algorithm the virtual, uh, virtual machine. And the fact that you use a sandbox actually lets you uh, test the behavior against the consensus protocol, the real algorithm uh, virtual machine. So there is not an abstraction layer of mm -hmm. the algorithm virtual yeah. machine to test it. Yeah. And once again, we're not saying that you know you gotta use the stack. Uh, it, take your take your time, do your due diligence yourself. There's a, a tool for uh, every kind of project you could find. But our point is essentially that if you start with this stack, if you gain experience with this stack, moving on to other higher level tools such as Reach, such as Algo Builder, or anything that would be built by ecosystem would be way easier for you. Uh, if you compare it with a different approach where you would start with a high-level framework that has a lot of syntactic sugar and does a lot of magic for you, 
and then you will try to go lower and understand it, but uh, essentially it would be a bit counterproductive. So start with something that is very close to um, to the teal itself that does not do a lot of transpilation and and it allows you to a lot of flexibility and afterwards you know you could move on to to, to basically anything you want but will you will have this essential knowledge and understanding of how things work um, under the hood so we covered a lot in this podcast course this is more than i expected and once again sorry for overtime but i think this was going into various different interesting directions there's a lot of food for thought for different audiences Last two questions I wanted to cover. One is relatively short, still on topic of testing. And then a final question would be uh, your advice to newcomers, actually, people who don't have exposure to blockchain development yet. One thing I just wanted to expand is, um, could you tell us a bit more about um, Graviton, So, which is, I believe, a project that is also currently being um, open sourced by Algorand. And if I got it correctly, this is a an Algorand's attempt on black box testing, black black box testing of, of, of the smart contracts, right? Is would would you say that this is something that potentially could be a nice addition to this setup that we've just been talking about with PyTeal and PyTest? Yeah, sure. Um... To be fully transparent, uh, um, I hadn't the chance yet to try uh, the uh, the tool uh, Graviton, um, and I think the colleagues that are working on it will be really uh, happy to to uh, join yeah, a conversation on 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 that. Uh, but I would love to have them as guests. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll I'll try to 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 connect you, <laughs> and uh, but but yes, the, the tool is uh, another another testing framework that approach uh, the 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 smart contract testing uh, in another in another way. Maybe maybe it's more fuzzy oriented, like uh, testing. Uh, uh, Several in, in in a range of variability of of uh, for example of, of some numerical variable you uh, do some uh, more coverage uh, because you will maybe auto generate more cases. Uh, so I'm not an expert again because I uh, I hadn't I had no chance to to try it yet. Um, but I think that the guys that are working on it will be very happy to 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 comment on that awesome yeah like i uh, i also see that based on the availability on github this is this is something that uh, is, is still under active developments but essentially we could we could imagine that sometime in near distant future this flexible setup that we've described pytest and pytil um there might be some additional tools or some additional capabilities that Algorand will be providing as part of its uh, SDKs and tooling that will simplify smart con contract testing and verification even further. Um, yeah, what, what, and what I can say is that today we recognize that the development experience is a bit cumbersome because you have to uh, a bit of uh, context switch between your ID till debugger. Uh, 
but uh, guys on on uh, product team are uh, aware of that, and there are a lot of ongoing uh, brainstorming and ideas over uh, a, a, a toolkit, so a, a, a framework or a, com a single command line uh, interface to to maybe. Uh, put together a single unique uh, development experience. So, for example, uh, today I found myself using uh, Cookie Cutter to set up Project Skeleton uh, over and over again. Uh, mm -hmm. And then you realize that you want when you want to set up a new smart contract project, you have uh, always the same path to do. So this could be simplified. So maybe there could be a single command line interface that set set up a project for you with all, all the artifacts that you need. This is something that uh, definitely is going to come. And uh, I'm sorry for going a bit off topic, but just from my personal experience, the, the majority of pain that I have experienced in terms of uh, Web3 development wasn't actually something that is related to the algorithm's capabilities. And in fact, uh, the stack that is provided out of the box is, is, is the least amount of um, Caused the least amount of issues while dealing with uh, with uh, the packages that Algorand provides, but uh, I, I think that it could have been really amazing if Algorand came up with some sort of IRC that standardizes how different wallet client implementations should essentially write their classes. So. If there was a way to standardize the interface for all the wallet clients available out there. And I'm not saying, you know, make a killer uh, framework that is in JavaScript and you plug and play and you, boom, you have Algo Signer, you have Wallet Connect, you have Paravolet working, uh, working on together because supporting this is a large investment. I don't think folks at Algorand want to waste their brain power on, on messing with uh, all these different implementations. But if, if there was a way to propose uh, a standard on how to write those interfaces, then developers could actually write tools that aggregate uh, different wallets uh, with, with ease. Because right now, the big issue, for instance, on Algo World Explorer, it took me a few months to simply just squash them all together into a single interface, abstract them away, and make sure that everything is working. Then testing is another thing, right? There is, uh, for example, Wallet Connect. How do you unit test scanning a QR code from a mobile phone, right? So there is a lot of uh, flaky things within um, the generic Web3 uh, protocols that are unrelated to Algorand itself that also could get the learning curve on the uh, development a bit harder. But this this was just a, an off-topic uh, thing I wanted to share in regards to the experience so far. Um, These are the most valuable feedback for, for, uh, for us uh, and uh, because people that have work hands on, on on different tools, algorithm tools provides. So the, the, I 100% agree. Uh... And on that note, I think we also did a pretty decent dive on the testing suggestions. So now let's get to, and I, I'm, I'm really curious to hear if there is a person that, or a subset of people who are still listening uh, up to that particular point. So if we have a set of listeners at that point, those are the most committed uh, followers that we have so far. So for, you know, newcomers into the ecosystem, developers who, you know, have some exposure to 
uh, web development or uh, basically any software development in general. But and they want to get their hands on um, on what it feels like, how how what's the experience like with blockchain development on ground. What advice would you give to them? Yeah, so uh, transition to Web3 uh, development, uh, I think, requires uh, another, another layer of, 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 of skills, which is not impossible to, to, to build. So being a, a developer with a reasonable uh, experience, I mean, also a beginner, uh, uh, do not prevent you to... to step into the blockchain uh, development because it's just a technology you get used uh, the more the more you interact with as a user the more you interact with as, as a developer it seems uh, natural the fact that you uh, learn so um, if, if you come from a, a software development background my my recommendation is uh, really start with a, a small, simple uh, smart contract uh, that maybe just do one thing, like minting uh, a token. Choose uh, a stateful smart contract because programming stateful smart contract in on Algorand is way easier than uh, programming a smart signature. And start doing, uh, maybe choose Python because uh, Python is uh, flexible enough to provide you with PyTIL uh, development experience. Uh, and just start with a, 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 a smart contract that you can call by the command line. Once you have this little nice object that responds somehow to, to your stimulus on chain, uh, then all the part of the of the all the rest of the, the development stack is way easier to to to, to learn. So uh, because it's more natural for you to interact with a smart contract from the front end side once you realize what is happening really on the low level back end side of the, of of of, a, of the chain uh, because you are going to deal with transactions that are not executed, you are going to deal with errors. But if you do not program once, at least a small smart contract, uh, it's hard to understand what's going on. So maybe it's counterintuitive, uh, but I will recommend to start working with your single feature smart contract that maybe just mint an NFT for you. And then, you will start realizing that the more you put your hands on in uh, this development, the more you will interact with the Algorand documentation, the more you will discover, and the community on Discord is very supportive. So you are not alone in this journey. And uh, my recommendation is keep in mind that this is a pioneering uh, learning action for everybody. We are not here to learn uh, from centuries of knowledge that are stored in books. We are here to build together more than learn because uh, you learn by building, of course. And in this field, uh, I think it's very crucial to start working hands-on. 
Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you. In fact, I, I would give 50% of all the help that I essentially received when uh, challenging, uh, when fa facing challenge, challenging issues with AlgaWorld Explorer implementation where just people and enthusiasts on Discord. And it was really me just, you know, you there are certain things that you can't rely on in regards to the maturity of the ecosystem. Keep in mind, you know, the chain started in 2019 and it is expanding um, like crazy. It's a very dynamic environment. So people closer to, I suppose, full stack development could uh, actually benefit from switching to Web3 because it's nothing new in some sense. You know, you still deal with a lot of different aspects on the back end side and the front end side. And the, the, the main advantage in this case is that you have to worry less about authentication, right? You have the accounts, you have the wallet clients, each account is a pair of a public and private key. And that's that's a responsibility on the side of your user. Then you have uh, essentially an ability to offload certain computation, right? And with addition of box storage, smart contracts are gonna be able to have even bigger uh, memory that, that you can rely on for the global state. So uh, you worry less about authentication, you worry less about databases, you worry less about backend. So it really just allows you to also put a bit more focus and due diligence on the actual logic of the smart contract and, and your dApp. So blockchain development in some sense, uh, after a certain learning curve could feel like something that you know, simplifies a lot of aspects of development because you simply have to worry less about about the infrastructure. Yeah, and I I had some uh, contents shared on the awesome Algo repository under the learning section. So it's a personal uh, deck that I call Algo School that maybe could give you an overview. Uh, from the very beginning until the the the, the end of PyTIL uh, deployment, mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a good resources for someone that is starting. So it's a, it's a deck that explains step by step almost all the tools on Algorand. Uh, and uh, my suggestion is take that deck, read it, and then put. Uh, yourself hands on the keyboard and uh, although it's hard in the beginning start developing a smart contract yeah yeah i yeah it's it's counterintuitive in the beginning i i, I also had this uh you know the grasping smart stateful smart contracts in the beginning was pretty challenging but uh once you once you get the guests it's it's really just a matter of commitment so so on that note once again I think we reached the end of the last section that we wanted to cover with you, Cosimo. Thank you very much for joining. This this has been a great pleasure. I think we covered a very uh, nice set of different concepts that uh, should serve as a food for thought for, for, for different people from different engineering backgrounds. Uh, I hope that by the end of the podcast, um, an average listener learned at least the core concepts of what makes Algorand special and uh, what is the reason behind um, behind the awesome Algo podcast. We are trying to reveal different interesting tools, frameworks, and, and, and platform in the Algorand ecosystem. And 
in this episode, we basically did a deep dive into the Algorand itself. We covered different features, the layer one capabilities that it provides. We covered the uniqueness of the pure proof of stake consensus protocol. We gave some ad advices on the testing of the smart contracts, which is a very important and crucial aspect of uh, Algorand development. And lastly, as Cosimo pointed out, and as I pointed out in the introduction to the Osomaldo podcast, the episode zero, there is a lot of great learning resources that you can find on the Osomaldo website under the learning session. And of course, the official Algorand documentation at developeralgorand.com is also your uh, entry point. I personally could say that I, I've noticed a lot of changes that happened over the past year. So documentation is in, in, in far better shape. They, um, I think you guys did a terrific job on also making those short little uh, sort of graphical comics uh, that uh, cover different uh, theses and topics there. And uh, it, it, it just gets improved um, on a monthly basis. You certainly won't get lost with, um, with grasping uh, different features and capabilities. And on that note, unfortunately, I cannot uh, announce the name of the guest for the episode number two. Uh, but we'll, we'll 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 work something out with Cosimo a bit. Perhaps it could be someone from Algorand. There is uh, potentially it could be Ryan, uh, and we could so from the developer relations we could talk a bit about some of the higher level features, or it could be anyone from the community. If you are in contributor to Awesome Algo, and if you want to appear on this podcast, when you open a pull request, there is a link to the type form. Uh, basically, fill the description there. Tell us a bit about your package or your tool um, or what, what you're contributing to the list. I'll take a peek into your implementation, do some preparation for the agenda, and afterwards, you could be invited as a guest and we would do uh, a deep dive. And the sessions could uh, last from 30 minutes to uh, as you can see here, we went over time because it was really engaging. And uh, so there's really no time limits as long as we agree on the right agenda. So once again, thank you, Cosimo, for joining. And thank you for listening to episode one of Awesome Algo Podcast. See you later. Thank you.